Well, last week, Erin uh, kicked off our Ruth series, and she looked at the first five verses of Ruth. Um, and you kind of, if you were here last week, you know why those, like the, the intersection of those first five verses and that song, why that's important. Uh, because where Ruth starts off is the, these two women who have lost everything that they could lose except for their life. That's the only thing that they hadn't lost. Um, they were married, and then their husbands died. There, there were some children involved, and those children, like, the, everything that, that was good in their life was gone. And they were in a land that was not their own, uh, with the people that they did not know. Uh, and they, there, was, there was nothing good on the horizon. Uh, there was no way to know what was, what was going to happen out of that situation. And the way that Aaron lined it up, she said this. She said, um, the, the important thing for us to really grab onto is this is that we, um, we trust, or excuse me, uh, because God is good, I will trust him. So it's not because, because God is good to me, then I will trust him. It's God is good, and I will trust him. And so, so for these two women that we, we started the book of Ruth with, like that was a monstrous challenge for them. And so we're going to continue into, uh, into chapter 1 today. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pastor here, and let me tell you one of my favorite things about Easton Fellowship, and it's this. We do not believe that a church is a thing that you go to. We believe a church is a people. It is a people of God that have been called by His glorious name into a fellowship together and to be on mission for what it is that Jesus is already up to. And one of my favorite things about that understanding of church is that we understand that there is not a single person who does the work of the church. We all do the work of the church. There's all, uh, we have all kinds of gifts that we bring to the table and we get to share together. And if we start to understand things that way, what we start to get um, our, our minds around is that this is actually a safe place for people to experiment with some of the gifts that they have. And we actually get to rally around people as they start to understand who God has created them to be and to, and to start to live into some of the things that he might be calling them into. And so today we're going to have someone preach um, who has never preached to Easton Fellowship before, who may have never preached ever before. I don't know. Will you give a... She has preached before. Okay. But will you give a very warm welcome to Leah Whitehurst-Gibson? This is yours. So we are we are incredibly excited um, for Leah, but we are also... Uh, we want to we have open hands. In the same way that oftentimes Pastor Don, who is on sabbatical... I will say, Lord, I receive your love today. We, we outstretch our hands. The posture of our hearts today, what we want to do is this, like, Lord, the word that you have today, I receive it. And so we recognize whoever it is that's up here, if it's Aaron, if it's me, if it's Chris, if it's Lee, whoever it is, we're simply conduits for what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing and proclaiming the gospel. Um, so would you, would you stretch out your hands as we pray for Leah as she brings the word tonight? So, Lord Jesus, we ask that the spirit that is in Leah, that is your spirit, would you activate that Holy Spirit? And we ask that she would speak um, boldly. We ask that she would speak truly to the words that you have given her to say. 
that the words of Scripture would leap off the page into our hearts and that you would grow those things today. Lord Jesus, we pray as the psalmist prays that the, that the words from Leah's mouth and the meditations of her heart would be acceptable and true to you, our God and our Redeemer. And we, the people of God, all say together in Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon, y'all. Um, right, so Doug is not completely right about me not speaking, preaching ever before. Um, I did go to Bible college, and that is where I first had the opportunity to preach. But as I was thinking about this sermon, um, <laughs> it's, it's funny because I was thinking about one of the last times I preached, and it was um, in Kenya. Um, I was on a missions trip there, and and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I just I need this to go better than that. Because what happened was, um, I'm <laughs> I'm in Kenya, and uh, a couple of things happened. One thing is that the day before I preached, I was thinking, you know what? I want to be like looking like these African women here. I want to like get one of those those skirts that have all the prints, and I just want to be, be beautiful for when I preach. <laughs> Um, so I went to the market and I found a piece of fabric that was not made into a skirt. It was a piece of fabric. And I was like, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just safety pin it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Put some shorts on under it. It'll be fine. And then I, uh, <laughs> and then the other thing that happens in, in Kenya is that when it rains, it's a torrential downpour, right? So, so if it's going to rain, it's going to, um, everyone is going to go running for cover. So, um, so on that day, I was starting to preach. I had my skirt on. I was feeling good. Um, we were in a church with no walls. There are no walls to the church and a tin roof, right? So, you know, when rain hits a tin roof and how, like, what it sounds like. So it starts to rain and the animals that are grazing in the fields nearby start to try and come into the, into the church with, <laughs> with no walls for cover. And the safety pins in the skirt that I had safety pinned on um, were not holding up in the way I hoped they would hold up. And so I'm watching every like 500 people and my skirt is starting to fall down and the cows are coming in and everything is, and I said, dear Jesus, I hope that goes better. Um, it goes better today. Um, so let's, let's hope and pray for that. So, so Doug and Aaron, um, Aaron set up last week, Ruth, Ruth one. So I'm going to be kind of delving into Ruth one. Um, and I'm going to put a timer on cause I like that Aaron did that, um, if y'all know anything about community organizers, which is my job in um, real life, um, we like to be timely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay on time. So a couple of things to realize about about Ruth. Um, one is that this story is not about Boaz riding in on the horse to save these women. That is not what this is. When I was in college, there were a lot of people, there were all these books about like this redeeming, like, you know, that Boaz was coming in and he was the, the man of our dreams. Um, but that's not what this book is about. That's not what the writer is pointing to. The writer is pointing to these two women, Ruth and Naomi, and what they were going through. And so a couple of things that, you wanna, that we want to remember as we're going through this, this process is that Boaz was a manifestation of God's goodness. Um, to, to Ruth and to Naomi on the, on, on this road. 
but he was not the central figure of this book. Um, this is about God's manifestation of hope and goodness when, when we're in spaces where we can't see that. Okay? So let's um, stand for the reading of the word as it is our custom. So this is Ruth 1, 6 through 20. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and um, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was um, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go. Return each to her mother's house. The Lord has, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and the dead in me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that, um, that may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, if I should say, have hope, I should have a husband tonight so, and also bear sons. Would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after her, um, your sister-in-law. Next slide. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. When she saw (laughs) that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And now the two of them went back to Bethlehem and what happened, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The word of the Lord. So that was a lot of verses to read, but the things that, that we need to kind of point out in, in this space, the major threads, you can go to the next slide, the major threads through this, this first chapter of Ruth are really thinking about these two things. What are the women experiencing, and how do we see God manifesting his goodness to them through the devastation? Does that make sense? You with me? Good. All right. So what do we know about Ruth and Naomi going into verse 6? So um, the things that we talked about, that Doug and Aaron talked about, listen, they'd lost everything. They had no resources. They, had, they would have been better off dead in this culture than widows with, barren widows without husbands. They endured unbelievable heartache, but they were incredibly strong. And so let's think about where Naomi's head was. You can go to uh, where Naomi's head was. You can go to the next slide. Um, 
So Naomi is thinking, right? We read in that in the in the scripture that God has abandoned me. She said, "Don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. God has dealt bitterly with me. I'm done for." She was also thinking, listen, my daughters, they have choices. They could go somewhere. They could go back to their husband's houses. They could, they'll, they'll be, they could be okay, but there's nothing for me. I'm disposable. All of the things in my life that had meaning are gone. My usefulness has been wiped away. I'm going to die starving and alone. And you think about this, so like, so, so, Naomi is telling Ruth and Orpha to go back to their family's homes. It's like, get out of here, go back, maybe you'll be okay. Because the custom was that if something like that happened, you could go back and have the protection of at least your father, right? If you were never, if you never married again, you at least had the protection of your father, a protection of a man until he passed away, right? So at least do that. Um, but Naomi had, did not have that option. She was too old. Her parents were dead. Her, um, her children were dead. Her husband was dead. She had nothing. So, so if we can kind of pull, pull out for a second, this is a, pull the lens out for a second. This is something that really hit me very hard as I was preparing for this. Y'all, God is here for women. I'm going to say that again. God is here for women. And the reason, the reason that I know that God is here for women is because not only does he say to the virtuous woman, you're blessed, right? He says he holds that up, right? But he also takes the widow and the barren woman, the two women that should have been completely marginalized, completely left out in society, he takes them and he centralizes them on the trajectory to Jesus, Did y'all catch that? God is here for women. And he wants us to see that if we deal with the widow and the orphan in the way that we typically do, right? In the way that we say like, oh, the the poor widow and the poor orphan, these are people that needed to be pitied and a problem that needs to be taken care of. We are missing it. That is not God's point here. He's centralizing these women because he wants us to understand that these women are strong. He's teaching us as the church, these women are strong. They are faithful. They are resilient. There are lessons that we need to learn. And if we do ourselves a disservice when we push them aside and we say, I can give you a few crumbs off the table. But you're not centralizing the story. God centralizes the widow in the story. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So that's, that's a little aside. That was my little rant. Thank you for allowing me that. Um, but let's go back to Naomi. So, so the question is, right, what is Naomi going through? So we talk through that. Now, what, what, what is God doing? How is God showing up for Naomi? God is intentional with Naomi. So think about Naomi. She's like, I've got nothing. I've got no hope. A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of scholars put Naomi and Job kind of next to each other. And they say, listen, they had kind of a similar experience. But let me just tell you, Job was a man. So Job still had options. He could still own property. He could still have children. He could still do all of these things. Naomi had no 
options. She had nothing. So even going back to her, to the, the land of her, her family was not really going to give her anything. But if you caught it in verse six, she said she heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She said, listen, I've got nothing. God has dealt bitterly with me. I have no hope. But there's a little speck in me, a little speck that says, I'm going to go see if God will see about me like he saw about his people back at home in the house of bread in Bethlehem in the midst of famine. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. Right? God was intentional about turning her back to him, back on the right path, taking that trajectory back toward Jesus, it turns out. Sorry, let me take a... Shekinah, I wasn't sure because I feel I'm not hearing it, but I'm I'm glad you think I'm preaching good. I'm glad you think I'm preaching good. All right. So, So other places that God is showing up for Naomi in the midst of her devastation. Again, we've got to remember that God's goodness is not dependent on how he responds to us in the individual circumstances that we're in. God allowed Naomi to go through the pain. He allowed her husbands to die. He, or her, her, her husband to die. Her, her sons to die and her husband to die. She had to go through that. But where was he showing up in the midst of that? I think a lot of times we often think about Jesus as a Superman figure, right? He swoops in, pulls Lois Lane out of the whatever thing she got herself into, pulls her out, and then comes back and takes care of the bad guys, right? That's often how we think about prayer, how we think about how Jesus responds to us. But in this story, we see that that's that's actually not the way that it works. Jesus shows up in those moments. God shows up in those moments. We just have to find where he is. And in this story, he he was manifesting in the person of Ruth. Because Ruth said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. I'm staying with you. And even though Naomi, as you saw, she's like, listen, fine, you can come, but I'm not talking to you at all. And so they got all the way back to Bethlehem and she didn't talk to her. (laughs) Like she was just like, whatever, do what you got to do. I'm going to go, you can come. But she couldn't see that God's provision was through Ruth in that moment. And oftentimes we need to be in that space where we can say, Lord, this is hard. This hurts. This is too much. But where are you? Where are you manifesting yourself? Where are you showing up? Um, I'm going to give you guys a quick story um, that, that a way that I've kind of gone through and seen myself in this space. Um, back in t- 2010, as many people dealt with kind of the financial downturn and losing jobs and being in really hard spaces, um, I found myself in a similar space. I'd lost my job, was out of work for six months, and because of that, I could not pay my mortgage. And so I was in this really difficult time, and it was a two-year process um, of just kind of being in the space of like, at any point, the bank could come and take my house. Um, I didn't have any say. I didn't have any um, any way to deal with that. So it was it was two years of this like 
constant stress on my body, on my, on my, on my mind, um, on my family. Um, and, uh, and so after two years of that, we finally kind of came and saw the light. Um, I got a job as the director of the risk organization. So our justice ministry here is a part of risk. And that was my job with all of the congregations that are a part of risk, 20 some congregations. My job was working with them. Incredibly difficult job. If you can imagine bringing the faith community together for justice. (laughs) It is difficult. Be a part of the justice ministry. That's that's the only plug I'm gonna put in. Anyway, um, that's not my job anymore, so I feel like I can say that. Um, and so I got that job, and um, six months into that job, I found out that I needed to have surgery because I have a disease called endometriosis, and I was um, and I had grown a cyst that needed to be removed. Um, and so, if you know me really well. Um, my parents are here. They know me pretty well. I have a friend that's been a friend for 15 years. She knows me pretty well. And um, I've always wanted to be a mother. I've always really, um, that's been a dream. Um, at that point, I had not met my wonderful husband, who's back there keeping my sound straight when I, my voice cracks. Um, <laughs> I had not met him yet. And um, I was in this space where I was just like, man, I just came out of this really stressful time. Now I'm in this really stressful job that's awesome, but stressful. And now my body is under this incredible amount of stress. Um, and so it was, it was hard, right? That year um, was my second Nehemiah action. Some of you were there over at Good Shepherd. That was also a very stressful action. Um, <laughs> I hear y'all. I know. It was, it was stressful. Imagine being the one who was running that, right? Stressful. Um, but here's, here's the cool thing about that story is that, um, that year there was a young man. One of the issues that we were working on at that action was affordable housing. And so there was a young man who came through an organization that was working on, um, homeless, working with homeless teens. And so the people who brought him there told him, Hey, listen, this is what this is all about. People care about you making sure that you, um, that there's a place for you to live. So he came in and there were over a thousand people there that, that night. And he looked around and he said, are all these people here because they're worried about me having a place to live? And the person that was with him said, yes, that's why they're all here. And so y'all, y'all might hear that story and be like, Leah, what do those things have to do with each other? It's that God's goodness is not dependent on what is happening in the moment. It's not dependent on him showing up like Superman. He didn't do that for Naomi. He didn't do that for me. But it's about his glory being revealed in the world. In that moment, that young man saw God's glory. And he used me to be a part of what that was about. If you, get, if you don't get anything else, please get that. Um, so so, that's, so that's, that's Naomi. That's, that's where God was showing himself to her. He showed himself to her through Ruth. Um, and he showed himself th- to her by turning her back to Bethlehem. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, let's, let's move on to Ruth. Where's Ruth's head in this? I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Shaquem. I haven't, been, I haven't been helping you out with the slides. Um, 
Where's Ruth head, he, where's Ruth's head in this? Ruth was barren. Um, being barren at that time, uh, she had been, she had been married for 10 years at this point and she had not gotten pregnant. So it's possible that it had gotten back to her community, to those in Moab that she could have potentially husbands that she could have maybe taken after her husband died, that she hadn't gotten pregnant in 10 years. So it's possible that, that it would have been really difficult for her her to even remarry at that point. Um, she, uh, she was also, um, even, even in that like space, it still was the cultural norm for her to go back to her father's house in that moment because she still had a better chance than what her chances were with Naomi. But Ruth was overtaken by the Holy Spirit. She said, listen, I'm going with you. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm sticking with you. So some of us could look at that and say, okay, well, it might have been logical for Ruth to go back um, to go with Naomi because she knew that it might not happen for her. She still might not have been, you know, able to get married and have kids and do the whole thing. Um, And so we might want to, like, lay that her decision on the altar of logic, but it was not logical. When I read that, that passage, when she said, listen, your God will be my God. I'm going to die where you're going to die. That reminded me of Paul. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus when he said, and he, God took him and turned him around, right? And then later he said, I was apprehended by this gospel. I could not do anything else. I had to go the way that God was telling me to go. That's what Ruth was experiencing in that moment. She was experiencing apprehension. God picked her up and said, nope, you're going this way. This is where you're going. And again, put her in the line of Jesus. So where was God's goodness to Ruth in this, in this space? Well, it started with him revealing his Holy Spirit to her, taking her over, apprehending her, and saying, no, you're going to go this way. He also gave her Naomi, right? So I know a lot of us have, have been in spaces where we're dealing with someone who's, who's struggling or has, have been in like horrible situations, and you're kind of the rock for that person. But women in particular are specifically created to be rocks for people in the midst of suffering. And God, in the midst, while Ruth was going through all these horrible things, like her husband had died, she had not had children, she could not, right? There were all of these problems with Ruth. She was apprehended by the Spirit, and God said, nope, you're going to stay right by her side this whole time. And so instead of being overcome with her grief, puddle on the floor, not being able to do anything, she said, no, I have a purpose and I'm going to stand by this woman because God has appointed me to do that. So he revealed his spirit to her, which is the very best thing God could have done and the best gift he could have given her in that moment. And two, he gave her Naomi to stand by, to walk with, to move with 
not to leave. And we'll get into some of the other people that are working on this series. We'll get into what that ended up looking like. Um, but I want to give a couple of takeaways as we, as we think about the, the book of Ruth. The first one is God's goodness is not contingent on what he does for us as individuals or in the moment that we ask for it. We have to get that. The arc of his goodness is long, and it always ends in the person of Jesus and the glory of God being manifested to his people. We are positioned for purpose when the things that we believe define us are stripped away. <laughs> Listen. Lando, don't, don't get Pentecostal on me. We ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that. We ain't got, we ain't got time for it. Listen, when the things that we believe are who we are, our reputation, our families, our jobs, when those things are pulled away, we start to see Jesus in a new way. We start to say, oh, oh, all I have is God. I'm dependent fully and completely on him. And listen, God is not our personal Superman. He's, he doesn't swoop in. That's not the point. The point, in the, though, for ends up ultimately being for Naomi and Ruth Matthew chapter 1, when Ruth is, is listed in the genealogy of Christ. Because she had a baby, and that baby had a baby, and that baby had a baby named David. And David is the line of our Savior. His ultimate purpose is revealed um, when we realize that he's not Superman. And even in times of dev- devastation, that, that, um, that word that Aaron talked about has said last week, it means loving kindness and faithfulness in a way that we don't even really have a English word to describe it. But we can kind of describe it in the way that Ruth stood by Naomi. She didn't leave her side. She stayed and waited with her and, st- and, and walked with her and was faithful to her. That's the kind of faithfulness that God has in relationship to us. And he will reveal that in times of devastation. We just have to look for it. We just have to look around and say, Lord, where are you? Jesus, where are you? The band can come back up. And so we, we um, as we move into response... As we move into a place where we're just going to take some time. There are pillows up here if you need to spend some time at the altar. And if the prayer team would, would go to the, to the walls to pray. I want us to think about a couple of things. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you need prayer because you're in the midst of something really hard. You're in the space where you're like, Lord, I don't know where you are. I need you to be with me. I need you to show up. And, I'm, and my prayer falls in like, Lord, swoop in like Superman. 
But really what you need is God to reveal his has said to you. For you to be able to look around and find out where, where he is. The second thing is, is, is maybe you're saying, listen, I'm still struggling as a Christian with why these horrible things seem to happen to people who are faithful. And this is a central struggle for me as a Christian. I don't understand why this happens. And it, it's blocking me from, from really fully buying in to who God is and, who, and, and what he wants to be to me. I don't know all the answers to that. But I can say that, that God does. And, he's, and he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show you where he is in the midst of those big things. And, and, the, and the other thing that I think is important is that we look back on, on times in our life where we're like, God, I can't reconcile what happened here in my own life. I don't know why this happened to me. And I, and I have a blockage between me and you because I can't figure out what, what this was back here. Allow the Lord to reveal where he was in that struggle and begin to heal it. So, so if, you, if you feel any of those things or you need prayer for anything, our, our custom here at Easton is that everyone who's a part of this community gets prayer at least once a month because we all need prayer. We all need to be connected to, to God in prayer. So if you need anything else, feel free to, to, to spend some time, pray with someone or spend some time at the altar. And just remember that God is with us in every single circumstance. Amen.